Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with understanding the ideas that rule the world. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Tonight we will be tackling the ideas, ideologies and worldviews that shape our world. Dr. Hammond, do we as humans interpret the world and respond to the world directly, or is God mediating all our perceptions and responses? Well, everyone does have a worldview. Um, a worldview is a way of interpreting everything that happens in the world. And so when you look at things, you have a way of understanding. So, for example, if you ever see water flowing uphill, you don't need to see the pump to know there must be a pump because, you know, water won't flow to uphill, it'll flow downhill. And uh, because of your understanding of gravity, uh, you would understand if it looks like somebody's soaring up. You've got to assume there's wires or something uh, that's that's uh, manipulating this or there's uh, got to be another explanation because you understand the world needs gravity. And so you've got a, a basic way of understanding which will help you to understand everything you see or hear. So the Bible has an explanation for the universe, how it came about, what its purpose is. But so do secular humanists and evolutionists and Marxists and New Ages. They've also got a competing worldview. Now, each of these worldviews is founded on ideas. So ideas have far-reaching consequences. Those who understand the ideas that rule the world will have the opportunity to influence the world of ideas. And that's why we are warned in the Bible in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Dr. Hammond, you just said worldview and the ideas upon which they are founded have far-reaching consequences. Why is that? Well, our worldview determines our values. It influences how we think and therefore guides how we live. So your worldview is so important. It's your values and it's your guidance. Our worldviews consist of those sets of beliefs and presuppositions which we hold about the basic realities of our world. So your beliefs affect your behavior. Your creed affects your conduct. Uh, it's, it's super important that our worldview answers the basic principles or basic questions of life. And uh, uh, that's why we need to understand what our worldview is. We need to recognize other worldviews that might be influencing us. Can you elaborate on precisely what you mean by the basic realities of our world? Okay, so there's nine key questions. Our worldview needs to answer these basic questions of life, such as, what is reality? Well, philosophers through the ages have come up with, you know, fire is reality, or water is reality, or um, air, and they've, they've got a great trouble trying to work out, well, what is reality? And then, what is the basis for knowledge? And, um, well, for some people, it's dust Kapital and Mein Kampf, and it might be having a look at uh, the Marxist Manifesto uh, or uh, the Book of Mormon, uh, the Quran, uh, the Hadith. So everyone's got a basis for knowledge. What are you uh, grounding your beliefs on? Of course, we should say the Bible and our reality, well, in the beginning, God. But how can we know what is right and what is wrong? And for some people, it's just, well, you know, the example of Muhammad or um, uh, it might be just pragmatic if you're a Marxist where you believe that the end justifies the means. But how do you determine what is right and wrong as a Christian in our case? What is man? Well, some people believe that we just evolved slime. We just matter in motion. We from molecules to mud to monkeys to man. And uh, so so what is man? And uh, just a means of production? Um is it economic determinism? Uh, but, of course, the Bible sees man as fallen creation. What happens to a person after death? 
Hindus will say reincarnation, you know, cosmic recycling. Um, but what happens to a person after, you know, is just extinction, as in just the belief of uh, an atheist? Um, is it purgatory, if you've got the Catholic view? Or is it, it's a point that a man wants to down off that to face judgment? What's the meaning of history? Well, according to the Marxists, it's dialectical materialism, economic determinism, and they will say um, all of history is moving in the direction that's going to end up with uh, the Soviet, the workers' paradise where the party controls everything. And uh, they've, they've got their, their ideas of not that it worked out that way. They ended up in the dustbin of history. But uh, is there meaning to history? Christians see history that it can be his story, that, that God can sovereignly work and what man means for evil, God can use for good and that he can work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the Bible speaks about there being uh, risings of kingdoms and fallings of kingdoms and blessings for obedience and disobedience for uh, disobedience, uh, curses for disobedience. So we see meaning and purpose in history in the Bible and God raises up some kingdoms and he blesses them when they're obedient to his laws and he curses and judges and brings down and collapses other kingdoms when they're disobedient to his laws. Big question, why is there suffering and evil? And Well, if you're polytheist, you know there's suffering and evil because the different gods are fighting one another. I mean, that's what the ancient Greeks believed. But we believe in one God, an almighty God, an all-powerful God. Why would there be suffering in a world which has a good God who's creator and who has all power? Well, the Bible says there's suffering and evil because man rebelled against God and disobeyed his laws and ignores the manufacturer's handbook, the, the creator's handbook, the Bible. So there's suffering and evil because of man's sin and our sinful choices. What is the purpose of our existence? Well, um, some would say just to eat, drink, and be merry and uh, hedonism. But we as Christians have answered in the words of the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How should we live? Well, uh, the Bible makes it clear that uh, we should live in obedience to the scriptures for the glory of God, to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So, uh, plainly, there are different answers to the basic questions of life, but every worldview has to answer these basic questions from what is reality all the way through to how we should live. Uh, Dr. Hammond, is it safe to use a modern analogy um, and to say that a worldview is, uh, is to a human what an operating system is to a computer? Are we sort of programmed, so to speak, by our worldview? Uh, yes. Um, my first job when I left uh, school was running the ICL 2980, just a computer operator uh, running around between the... This was the ICL 2980. was like three stories high, massive. Uh, it was an old mutual puns. And we had... Ooh, Gee, maybe a hundred metallic tape decks and um, all sorts of dozens of card machines that you had to read. I was running around putting the right paper on here and this there, and the computer was telling you what to operate there. And there's these these discs that went on this one, and this disc went on that, and the pa this uh, paper that printed on these lines, and those sticky labels on that printer. And, uh, funny, I think that that whole computer, um, our average laptop today can probably do more than what that uh, massive operation could back in 1978. Um, but uh, the point is the computer programs, uh, they have operating programs and operating systems that tell you what to do and how to operate. And just like um, a computer needs either um, Microsoft Windows or Apple Macs and Linux or whatever, there's different worldviews by which people are programmed. And so you can tell 
that a person who is thoroughly inculcated with New Age humanism will think in certain ways. And this other person who's uh, gotten Islamic uh, jihadist teachings, they will operate to the extent of sacrificing their lives for what they believe. Uh, someone who's Roman Catholic will also be following. They'll be absolutely convinced that this is what you've got to do. You know, every Friday they, they've got to go through this kind of fast. No fish. Uh, you can only have fish on Friday and you've got to go for confession Friday and uh, praying the beads and uh, 10 Hail Marys, one our father. Uh, they, they are convinced that their worldview guides them and, you know, whether it's crossing themselves onwards. Uh, in the same way, a, a Protestant uh, evangelical Christian uh, will be guiding the entire life in accordance with what the Bible says, the examples of Christ. And, and you can just see uh, people are programmed according to the worldview. And you think, well, why would they do that? Well, if you understand they're communists, that's why they would think and act like that. And if you understand those people are secular humanists, well, naturally, if they hold to secular humanism and the basic sense of evolutionism, this is logical to them. So if you want to understand people, if you understand their worldview, it'll be like understanding what computer program is operating your computer. Um, Dr. Hammond, how do people come to be uh, programmed or how do they download the worldview that they hold? Or are they born with it or is it downloaded into their minds? Well, genetics plays a part in, in developing our character. That affects how we think. But let's face it, why do you think like you do? You think like you do uh, specifically because of uh, where you were born, when you were born, uh, what inputs given into you, what kind of upbringing did you have from home, what were the convictions of your parents, what did you get at school, what did you get from the media, what films did you watch, what books did you read, what magazines did you pay attention to, what advertising impacts you. And so for some people, television made a major impact on how they think and watch, and uh, or movies, or radio, music. The kind of, you know, if you've been brought up with classical music, you'll have a very different way of thinking to if you've been brought up with rap, which isn't music, it's more like just noise. Uh, for many people, newspapers have affected them, and you can do a whole study in England on, you can tell what a person's politics are by which newspaper he reads. You know, whether whether he's Labour Party, whether he's Conservative, so on, I mean, it's just, it's so clear. Um, same with um, the textbooks, the comics, what church you went to. You know, people who go to a Presbyterian church are going to have a certain mindset, quite different from the average Pentecostal church, quite different from uh, the um, Hindu temple or the person who's going to the Mormons or the uh, person who's uh, going to the Islamic mosque. So uh, your parents will definitely, you know, if you have hippie drug addict parents versus strict um, parents from Dutch Form Church versus uh, a laissez-faire kind of uh, do-your-own-thing parents who read Dr. Spock and think, it's healthy for you to kick the table over and scream and kick your parents. So the kind of parents you've got, the kind of friends you've got. I mean, some friends, well, who needs enemies with some friends you've got? The kind of friends who um, will give you a tattoo while you're drunk and passed out. And uh, there's all sorts of so-called friends out there. The teachers you have. I had a teacher who still affects me to this day. My first history teacher in high school in Rhodesia, Mr. Reese Davies, who was also a member of parliament in Rhodesia, he said, beware the victor's version. Textbooks are filled with lies. Wartime propaganda morphs into peacetime textbooks. Don't regurgitate textbooks. Think outside the box. Look for the context. Do independent research. Think. You know that England is lying now about us in Rhodesia. Why would you trust them about any other time in history about anything else? Do your own research. You know, Think outside the box. So I must say that teacher's words resonated 
to me to this day. I continually am thinking, what's the context? What's the primary source? How do I know this is true? How do I know these people aren't lying? Um, your lecturers at university, the type of school or university you went to, you know, whether you were homeschooled, whether you went to an independent private Christian school, whether you went to a state school, a Muslim school, a um, secular human school, a Catholic school, that would affect you. The type of university you chose, the type of subjects you, you chose. You know, if you want to go and study psycho or gender studies, um, you know, expect that to affect the way you're thinking. An engineer is going to have a very different way of thinking from a person who went and studied political science. Um, okay, I suppose your clothing uh, that you were uh, taught to use, the manners you were taught by your parents, even the words and phrases, so the vocabulary you were taught. And I remember my one English teacher saying, never use words like get and got. There's always a better word than that. And don't use the word very. There's a lot of better words than very and so on. So uh, even the words and phrases you were taught, I mean, what's the most important word in English language? Please. What's the two most important words in English language? I'm sorry. What's the three um, um, most important words, you know, I won't do it again, and so on and so forth. And you, you've, you know, please, thank you, I'm sorry, and so on. And uh, I, you, you taught a whole lot of phrases. So all of this programs you. I went to a school where the most important thing was your manners, your integrity, your deportment. Shoes must always be polished every moment of the day. Your hair can never touch your collar or your ears. Um, fingernails have to always be clean. Uh, hands are never in your pockets. Uh, you always stand up straight if a woman walks into the room or, or uh, you stand up and tip your hat. If it's a, if it's a man, an adult walks into the room, you stand up. And uh, you always give your seat to, to a woman of any age, even if she's in primary school and you're a principal, at, uh, you're the prefect in high school, you still stand up and tip your hat and you give your... And so we were taught a certain set of manners, which was normal for Rhodesia back in the 1970s, and that continues to affect me. So... You know, you, you're programmed with a worldview according to your education, your upbringing, your teachers, but a lot of it's our own choice. What do we choose to read and by what media are we are we receiving? It's quite easy to tell the difference between, you know, different computer operating systems, um, you know, the way they look and the way they perform functions and so on. But how do we determine what worldview a person holds? Okay, this might seem a bit harder, but there's a few questions that can help us. So well, you can ask questions about a certain person, whether it's a politician, an author, a lecturer, a speaker, a journalist, a filmmaker, or anyone else, um, anyone that you engage with through the media, you ask this question, what is this person using to interpret the facts? You know, after a while you can see, oh, uh -huh, uh, they, they're using uh, Darwin's Origin of Species, um, or um, uh, Das Kapital, or uh, the whole uh, principle of Marxist manifesto. So what are they using to interpret the facts? Uh, what is this person's fundamental beliefs about life? I mean, do they believe that we just evolved slime? Do they believe we're a cosmic accident? Uh, do they believe we are reincarnation? Uh, you know, there's another life. Are they talking about karma? I mean, what, what is, do they believe in this cosmic snakes and ladders where you go up and down depending on your karma as you've gathered in this life? So you, you get the idea of a person's um, worldview by understanding what are they using to interpret the facts? What are their fundamental beliefs about life? How consistent is this person's worldview? This can be confusing because sometimes you can see a person who says they're a secular humanist, but some of the things they say sounds Christian. Like you, you ask this person who says, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in judgment, Ten Commandments, and so on and so forth. Well, how do you live your life? 
Well, I try to do to others as I want them to do unto me. Uh, and I try to live by this golden rule. And you think, and where did that golden rule come from? I mean, this isn't consistent. This person has rejected the Bible and God, but he's taking a biblical concept from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. So people aren't always consistent. And so you might have somebody who, who behaves like a Christian, even though they actually don't believe like a Christian. That can happen. People are inconsistent. Sometimes they've stolen uh, lumber from your forest in order to build up their worldview. So um, don't expect everyone to be consistent in the worldview. We, we sometimes even hear Marxists quoting some biblical concept, <laughs> which you think, you know, hmm, stealing is a no-no, isn't it? I mean, so what are the practical implications of this person's worldview? I mean, if this person um, was consistent, what does it say about meaning? So, for example, you believe we came from nowhere and we're going nowhere. You came from nothing, you're going nowhere. Well, that means life is meaningless. So, so what's the practical implication of your worldview? If you follow on your worldview, say, of atheism or evolutionism, or secular humanism, uh, what is the practical implications? Why should we even do what is right and wrong um, if there's no eternal consequences and if there's no God and if there's no eternal right and wrong? What will this mean for me personally? I mean, if I follow the implications of this person's teachings, what will it mean for me personally? Well, if it means that you might blow yourself up as a jihadist bomber, uh, it gives you the idea that um, maybe this isn't a good idea. Uh, there's, or if it means that there's no meaning, no purpose, no right and wrong, no justice, what, what does it mean? What will it mean for the world in general? I mean, if everyone in the world believed this worldview and lived it consistently, what would the result be? Well, actually, the results would be pretty disastrous in most cases. Because if everyone truly was consistently a secular humanist, you came from nothing, you're going nowhere, life is meaningless, there's no right and wrong, there's no heaven or hell, there's no uh, justice. Um, if everyone responded in consistently to that, well, I mean, you could have chaos in the world because where is the sense of the fear of God or the love of neighbor or being a good Samaritan? Uh, it could be disastrous if you followed some people's worldview um, or the fact that you've got to have an eye for an eye and you've got to um, blow everyone up and uh, this summer will bring about your idea of paradise. So intellectually, what does this person believe is true about himself and his place in history? I mean, we as Christians believe that we are fallen creation. We believe that uh, we are hell-deserving sinners. We believe that uh, only God is good and uh, we are saved by grace alone. I mean, intellectually, what you believe will have an influence on you as opposed to those who say, you know, I believe I'm the highest level of evolution and uh, um, that I'm better than other people because, well, you know, that's going to lead to arrogance and a very different view. So physically, how does this person treat their body? How do they mistreat their body? By eating or overeating, by sleeping or oversleeping, by exercising or being a sloth. Um, you can tell something about a person's worldview by how they treat their body to a degree. Socially, how does this person interact with friends and enemies? Are they gracious with the enemies, with the rich and the poor, with the, with the strong and the weak? So just think, for example, um, I remember at the playground and uh, on the sports field in Rhodesia, we were taught the aim of sports is to learn to work together, to play as a team, to play according to the rules, to win graciously, 
to lose graciously, to congratulate the other person um, who has beaten you, uh, to be gracious, not to sulk, be a team player. Don't feel like you've got to always be the one scoring the goal or whatever, that, that you've got to pass and be part of the team. Well, that's very important when you learn those lessons. Sports can be good for society if you do it politely, which is why the, when you've got bad manners on a sports field and arrogant sportsmen, it just leaves a sick feeling in your stomach. Think, that's not the whole, they're missing the whole point of the sport. Economically, what is a person's motivation at work? How does that person spend their wages? When you get a person's mentality of being, you know, you know, uh, TGIF, thank goodness it's Friday. Um, you just live for the weekends. Well, why would you wish five out of seven days away and that you only live for, for two out of the seven? That seems pretty poor. You must be doing the wrong job if you don't like it and if you wish the, the week was over. Uh, what's your purpose in work? Is it just to get a salary check? Um, and is salary just for you? Uh, are you trying to earn more than what you need so that you can be generous to others, so that you can provide for others' needs, so that you can provide for others or be generous? Um, somebody has said that you can tell what a person really believes is important by what they do with their disposable income. Some people have said, if I look at your check stubs, well, that's back when checks were in use, uh, I can tell what's really important to you. And um, I think that is significant. Uh, some people I've known, everything went into cigarettes and uh, alcohol. <laughs> um, other people, you can see the, what was their priorities. Well, having spent quite a bit of time in the Army and the Fire Brigade, I discovered for some people that was life, uh, getting drunk and smoking. And uh, for some people, that's like the ultimate in their life, and you think, sad. Ethically, moral guidelines and obligations direct this person's thinking about justice and righteousness. Uh, some people are only interested in separating themselves from what is evil. Uh, we sometimes call them separatists or um, uh, pilgrims. Uh, but then you get others, like the Puritans, who want to change everything. Not just that which affects them, but they're wanting to improve all of life. In fact, they want to change the whole world. And that's said about the Calvinists, that the Calvinists weren't satisfied with reforming their church and their city and their country. They want to reform the whole world. And, uh, well, that just shows... You can learn a lot about a person by asking these key questions. Dr. Hammond, to make the concept of a worldview crystal clear, can you give us an example of a common life experience and how it is interpreted differently by different worldviews? Yes. So uh, just take, uh, for example, how uh, you get these people who believe that the uh, people are basically good. So, all right, you, you get somebody like uh, Kenneth Koenda. Kenneth Koenda was the dictator of Zambia for 27 years. Kenneth Koenda had Bible-believing, God-fearing uh, reformed parents who trained at Livingstonia in Malawi to be evangelists. And uh, Kenneth Koenda rejected his parents. And he said, I could not believe the Calvinism of my parents, which believed that people are basically sinful. I don't believe people in the depravity of man. I believe in the goodness of man. Well, when he became, he became a communist and uh, he took over Zambia and he declared uh, humanist socialism to be the national ideology. So you actually knew it was on billboards, it was on letters, it was all over the place. And they kept speaking about socialist humanism. So everything in Zambia was to be interpreted of socialism and humanism. He took a country that was the wealthiest country in Central Africa, much, much, much re richer than Southern Rhodesia. Uh, and he turned to basket case, economic chaos, uh, where the currency became worthless and where they had to import food to survive, whereas before they used to export. And socialist humanism wrecked the whole country. Uh, and he 
banned his opposition parties. He, uh, he in the end was the only candidate and he ruled as a one-party dictator of a one-party state because he believed in the goodness of man, you see, and he didn't believe in the depravity of man. And uh, I was in his prison. I was a political uh, prisoner in the presidential detainee cell, cell 11 Lusaka Central Prison in 1987. And uh, it was funny. Uh, some of the most educated people in Zambia were in a prison cell. Uh, there's a army major engineer who had studied Sandhurst. He was there because he had said that uh, sanctions would hurt Zambia more than South Africa. Um, unpatriotic things to say, throw him in prison. Uh, there were businessmen in there who had had their businesses stolen and uh, businessmen from Mali and so on. And uh, there they were uh, in prison. There's some poor Hindu businessman who'd lost his uh, business and he was thrown uh, into prison there because the government wanted his things. And uh, we had no cooked food uh, aside from a big pot of starch from a big pot big enough for a missionary family in the middle of the the, uh, the quadrangle and um, at one meal a day. No plates, no utensils, just dished onto your hands. There was no, no eating utensils, no knives and forks, pots, plates or cups or anything like that. Now, when the British built this prison, uh, they built it for 80 people. There was electricity, plumbing. Uh, Kenneth Kunda, when he was locked up there by the British, he had a cell to himself with Everything from uh, gramophone, couch, bed, pillows, sheets, uh, three cooked meals a day, bookcases, uh, and all the rest of it, access to the library. But Kenneth Kunda, who didn't believe in the depravity of man, but in the goodness of man, he was shoving 50 to 60 prisoners in a cell, in a single cell like where he had to himself. No furnishing, nothing, no, no blankets, no pillows, no beds, no... Uh, no plumbing, no electricity in the whole prison. No access to the library or anything like that. That didn't exist anymore because he believed in the goodness of man. And so there were 1,200 people crammed into this prison that the British built for 80. So there's a real-world life uh, example of uh, how a man who rejected the Reformed belief, which demanded checks and balances because the Reformed faith believes in the wickedness of man, there's got to be checks and balances. You can't trust governments in the hand of any one person or party. There's got to be checks and balances. There's got to be a separation of powers. There's got to be upper and lower house. There's got to be um, free elections, <laughs> uh, free um, market economy, and there's also got to be um, uh, freedom of speech and uh, freedom of the press and so on. But these people who don't believe in the depravity of man, they think you can trust one man, one party to rule everything. And before you know it, they've got total control, totalitarian dictatorship and state and people locked up for what they think. And so today you can see there's people all over the world who believe that the government should be able to tell you what to wear on your face and that you've got to be masked or muzzled all day and even on your own in the car and uh, you've got to get this untested medical um, procedure uh, of compulsorily even against people whose conscience is against it, uh, even though it hasn't been tested to find out if it actually does what they say it's going to do. And uh, uh, they can take away your job, take away your freedom, lock you up because you disagree, deplatform people because they say, you know, they believe in the goodness of man and they're good and uh, uh, they know that you're wrong. And therefore, you shouldn't have freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of conscience. You should be deplatformed. Uh, you should be unpersoned. You should disappear down the memory hole, um, just like George Orwell's 1984 speaks about. And so people who reject God and reject the Bible, such as secular humanists and Marxists, they believe they have the right to tell other people what to do and to take away their freedoms and to deny them their basic Bill of Rights, um, freedoms of movement and speech and everything else and conscience. Uh, because they are convinced they are right. 
Whereas if you believe in the depravity of man, you recognize there's got to be checks and balances. And I could be wrong too. I've got to allow for other opinions. And I must allow the truth to be determined in a free marketplace of ideas without restrictions. And for this reason, you allow voices. And a free country has a paid opposition where they recognize even opposition serving the country. And therefore, they should also be benefiting from tax money to enable them to do their job as the opposition. Whereas a person who's got a Marxist secular humanist worldview say, down patriotic. They don't support the leader. Close them down, lock them up, throw them into jail. So, yes, I mean, those are just one example. You used to have the view on university campus that free marketplace is a good idea. Iron sharpens iron. Now you go to university campus and you can be um, uh, kicked out, shut down, assaulted, uh, threatened and so on because you upset some snowflake because your views uh, made them feel uncomfortable. And they didn't like what they what you said. And so they want you arrested for uh, what they call hate speech, which just means that uh, you spoke the truth that they don't want to accept. Of the other pervasive worldviews that exist at the moment, which is the biggest threat or competitor to the biblical worldview? Well, secular humanism, the philosophy or the religion that places man at the center of all things, makes man the measure of all things. Uh, secular humanism is a religion that replaces God with man, that actually deifies man. And so humanism, and, and that was, in fact, Kenneth Kohonda's ideology. Kenneth Kohonda wrote the book, A Humanist in Africa, and he had man in red. So humanism, so he put humanism and with a whole lot of sec circles going on there, showing man-centered. Uh, hu humanism is is a man-centric. And um, uh, that's why he had socialist humanism as his philosophy of his country. So I would say even more than... Islam, even more than Hinduism, Buddhism, or any of the other competing religions, I would say secular humanism, which is the religion of Hollywood and of most of the universities today, is and it's the religion of the World Economic Forum, of the globalists of the United Nations. Secular humanism is the biggest clear and present danger and competitor to Christianity. And what makes it particularly dangerous is that they've hijacked most of the schools and colleges and universities and textbooks most of the entertainment and news media, under the guise of they're not religious. And yet, if you go onto a university campus, you'll be interested to notice religious societies, University of Cape Town, Harvard, doesn't matter, under religious societies, what do they have? Atheist society, and then Assemblies of God, Baptists, and so on. They've got secular humanist society, and they're there amongst, you know, all the other religions, and they also have a a 501c3 tax-deductible status in America of the Humanist Society and so on. If you turn to the Humanist Manifesto, it actually gives its, its beliefs and at the end says, thus stand the tenets of, of religious secular humanism. So secular humanism is a religion by every definition. And uh, they even uh, put themselves as one of the religious societies on university campuses and also have tax-deductible status in countries like America and Canada because they claim religious tax exam status, but they've convinced the average person that they're neutral, they're not a religion. That's what makes them so dangerous. You understand that Islam or Mormonism is a competing religious worldview, but what most people don't recognize is the secular humanism which runs the schools the average Christian sends their child to is thoroughly religious, but it's an anti-Christian religion. Dr. Hammond, at the beginning of the show, you said each worldview is founded on ideas. Ideas have far-reaching consequences. 
Can you please give us a rundown of some of the ideas and ideologies that have coalesced to create the secular humanist worldview or religion? Right. So, well, I mean, obviously there's atheism. So you put an A in front of something, it's a negation. So we are theists. We believe in God. Uh, they are atheists, means they reject God. So atheism is a naturalistic view of reality. It's a belief that there's no God or no gods which exist. So literally, uh, they are saying there is no God. So atheism is is definitely um, a religious ideology, a worldview, an idea that rules the world in many places. And that's what galvanized, for example, Stalin and Lenin in their campaign to destroy churches and murder pastors and lock up people and for their faith. Uh, so atheism is an ideology or an idea that really affects the world. If you believe that you came from nothing and you're going nowhere, then life is meaningless. And the only heaven you're going to have is what you make on earth. And they normally, they promise heaven, they generally deliver hell. But I mean, just think of atheism. There's no meaning, no purpose, uh, no justice in life. And uh, then there's deconstructionism. There's this belief that the source of literary discipline must be dis uh, dismantled. So, for example, you may be surprised to find that the English department, the English literature department on most university campuses must, is often the most Marxist and radical of all. And somehow or another, they manage to, while they've got something like William Shakespeare on the curriculum, and Charles Dickens, and but they will shove Marxism, feminism, uh, all kinds of evolutionary ideas through this. And you think that's of, that's not in the text. That's not in the author's mind. Uh, when Earth to come from, well, they'll justify it by deconstructionism. Uh, the author's point of view is only as valid as the reader may determine. And so any text, and that's not just classical literature, it's the law, it's the constitution, anything like that can become whatever the reader says. It is not what the author meant it to be. And so deconstructionism is very dangerous because you, you have people who, they quote the constitution or the Bible or Shakespeare or Jane Austen or Dickens to say what the author never meant, never believed, and uh, which isn't even there. And somehow or another, a lot of people believe they can get away with it. One of the most influential ideologies in the world today, it's, it's a humanist ideology, um, is egalitarianism, the belief that total equality must exist for everyone in every area of life, political, social, cultural, economic, and all opinions must become equal and all talents and wealth. You cannot distinguish between good, better, and best, and you cannot distinguish between right and wrong. <gasps> no. Well, except if you're a Bible-believing Christian, then that's wrong, obviously. Um, so, for example, George Orwell put this so wonderfully in his Animal Farm book. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And, yep, that's what works in a communist country. Empiricism is a humanistic idea that says all knowledge is based on sense experience alone. If I can't see it, touch it, or taste it, it doesn't exist. Well, you can't see, touch, or taste music, or love, or peace either, um, it doesn't exist, obviously, if you can't see, touch, or taste it. Uh, nothing can be true unless it is tested, according to the scientific method. Well, there's a lot of important things we believe in in, in life, uh, such as love and uh, um, many of the great uh, things of music, which you can't exactly scientifically test. But empiricism may rule those things out, and then they really add a lot of important things in life. Existentialism is... Very, very dangerous. And it is, you see it in so many Hollywood movies, existentialism. It's introspective humanism. 
It's an attempt to create a personal identity from meaningless universe based on a subject experience of the individual. Live for the moment, my personal experience. Now, who cares about history? Who cares about the future? Who cares about anyone else? The only thing that matters is my personal experience now. Me, myself, and I, the new trinity. That's existentialism. And just think how many movies that's the ruling ideology of. And so we've had generations now brainwashed with existentialism. And hedonism as well, a doctrine that elevates pleasure as the sole end and good in life. And so decrease the pain, increase the pleasure. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. Um, you know, if it feels good, do it. Moral duty is fulfilled in the gratification of pleasure. Uh, always the new. And so hedonism, which means world-weary in, in uh, um, French, it basically is uh, live for the moment and it's, it's um, live for pleasure. Materialism is super important. If you believe that nothing exists other than matter, if you can't touch it, it's not real, which rules out, you know, thoughts and brainwaves and things like that too. Uh, but nothing exists if you can't touch it. Uh, everything that exists is material and natural and only the results of product of time and chance plus matter. So evolutionism, Darwinism, Marxism is very materialistic. Uh, a lot of people hold to that. Modernism, which is another idea that's ruling the world, <clears throat> it's founded with an enlightenment and expressed through the Renaissance. And it's very man-centered, very humanistic. Man's a sense of all authority. It emphasizes our autonomy, our modernity, and it pertains to the present age, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, so modernism, a rejection of tradition and history and uh, church and family roots and so on. And of course, you also have multiculturalism, that's become a mega idol of today. An attempt to reverse God's judgment at Babel. It's basically like the idea of reversing Babel and um, bringing all nations together, globalism, um, multicultural melting pot. The Frankfurt School of Cultural Marxism uh, really attempted to break down all ties of blood, soil, nation, faith, and family to create a new world order with classless, familyless, genderless, uh, nationless, multicultural Babel. Uh, that idea, many people have imbibed without realizing it. Oh, there's a whole lot of others. Pantheism, belief that God's identical with the universe. You know, everything is God, pan, all, theos, God, God is all. The force be with you, that sort of thing. Uh, positivism, the only legitimate basis for knowledge is found in positive dots of experience. You know, don't learn from, from history and from the Bible, learn from your own experience. Well, <clears throat> you know, like... If at first you don't succeed, don't try skydiving. Um, it's better to learn from other people's experience. Experience might isn't actually the best teacher because, you know, some things could kill you if you didn't learn from someone else's experience and you had to experience it yourself first. There's a lot of others. Relativism, the theory that truth is only whatever particular individual or society declares or decides it is, that there's no objective right and wrong. So you get situational ethics. Is it right to steal? That depends. Is it right to kill? Well, depends on the circumstances. And so some people will justify almost any breach of God's laws by situational ethics and values clarification. There's no universal truth, no absolute code of right and wrong. So these are just some of the worldviews which, which really uh, affect the world. You know, you've heard the end justifies the means by Machiavelli. Well, that's a Marxist idea. That is not a Christian view. So that's utilitarianism, which is a basic radical individualism and autonomy without any guiding by virtue uh, where <clears throat> it doesn't matter what the um, 
means are to use as long as you achieve the end. And, you know, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. And it doesn't matter how many people's lives you crash and smash in the process of achieving your good goal. So if your goal is the Georgia Guidestones of a sustainable universe of less than 500 million people, you know, pandemics, pandemics, vaccinations that are more dangerous than a disease, um, wars, famine, wars on farmers, bring the population down, the end justifies the means. And if we can end up with um, a better result with less climate change and green agenda and globalism, great reset, um, the fact that a few hundred or few million or billion people died to achieve it, remember the end justifies the means. And so that's the utilitarian view. And I think our listeners can identify that, yeah, we've come across some of these things um, in movies on, on news headlines and policies of our governments in recent years, haven't we? Yeah, there's a sticker that one sees on cars quite often these days. It says, you only live once. Uh, that, uh, kind of... Yes, well, they obviously don't believe in reincarnation, um, <laughs> but they probably don't believe in life after death either if they make a statement like that. So, yes, that's telling you. Uh, I've seen other stickers like... Um, uh, the one who dies with the most cho- toys wins and, you know, born to shop. Well, yeah, those are very materialistic kind of worldviews being displayed in those bumper stickers. Um, Dr. Hammond, can you tell us um, in, of any resources that would help listeners um, understand the concept of worldviews in depth? Yes, we've got some great resources. And uh, obviously, first and foremost, we need we need the Bible. We need to read the Bible. We need to understand uh, the Times. There's an excellent book written by Dr. David Noble, Understanding the Times. And uh, here he analyzes the six major worldviews of the world, from, from secular humanism to Marxist humanism uh, to cosmic humanism, New Age, um, uh, Islam, and uh, biblical Christianity. So he looks at the different views and looks at them over 10 different issues, you know, where they are on biology, where they are on sociology, where they are on eschatology, uh, law, and so on. And so um, Understand Times is a great textbook. Um, there's a simpler book called uh, The Battle for Truth, uh, which summarized the basic message of that, but in a far more readable, um, accessible format. Um, we've written the Biblical uh, Worldview Manual, and uh, in addition to Biblical Worldview Manual, we've also got Biblical Principles for Africa, and uh, the Ten Commands, God's Perfect Law of Liberty, which is also available in English and Afghan. So all of these resources are available at the christianlibertybooks.co.za website, christianlibertybooks.co.za, and uh, great books, uh, Battle for Truth, Understanding Times, uh, Biblical Worldview Manual, Biblical Principles for Africa. Dr. Hammond, thank you very much for helping us understand the worldviews that prevail and or in some cases the lies that uh, we live by. Um, in closing, I'd like to read from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. <clears throat> Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.